Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Good to have you all here, and happy uh, happy birthday to Prince Rogers Nelson, who would have been and should have been 64 years young today. Fentanyl, folks. It took Prince away. It took Tom Petty away. Uh, hello to everyone listening to us live on Sirius XM. You guys can always call any evening at 866-997-GRIT, even if you're one of the deeply moral, intellectual, and sexy people who listens to us on demand on Sirius XM's app or on the John Fuglesang podcast. We love to get your emails and uh, thanks for being here. It's it's a rough time, guys. It's bad out there. I mean, it's 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 scary out there. It's depressing. It's like Ingmar Bergman directing the Star Wars prequels. I turned on the news and the anchor just said, "You don't want to fucking know." It's it's bad. We all have what I call what the fuck fatigue. Our outrage circuits are just burnt out. You know, we're supposed to be in the great unclenching. I've said this for a while. The night Trump was elected, all of us clenched up somewhere. Maybe your fists. Maybe your jaw. Maybe your sphincter, maybe the back of your neck and your shoulders. Just, what, what, what the... And, and when Trump left, it was supposed to be, okay, unclench a little bit, just breathe, let, let, let it flow. But it hasn't happened yet. It just seems to get crazier and crazier every day. A lot of it's gaslighting. A lot of it is just when you have empathy, you're going to care, and it's going to tense you up in this country. But we're also going through what I call PTSD, pandemic Trump shitstorm dystopia. We're still neck deep in it. We haven't gotten over the trauma of this reality show racist clown looting our treasury for four years. We're not even out of the trauma of a pandemic that's claimed over one million American lives. And of course, every day we have a front row ticket to the freak show. Uh, you, you know, you can turn on Fox, you can turn on right wing radio. You'll hear Dr. Fauci created COVID-19 in the Wuhan lab out of Hunter Biden's laptop and Hillary's emails and Obama's real birth certificate. But the Benghazi standout order made Biden ban our hamburgers. And that's why we're not getting that damn vaccine, even though Donald Trump made it with his own hands. I just own the libs. You can't go that route. And you probably have to deal with people like that in your family, in your job. Maybe you for some reason, haven't dropped them as Facebook friends yet. But there's a lot of crazy out there. So much crazy, the Department of Homeland Security is warning us about it. And, and this is the week when the January 6th hearings are about to start. And we've just found out the Benghazi Hearings Network will not be airing the January 6th hearings at all. Yes, Fox News announced they will not cover it at all. And why should they? Their anchors will be all over it. You understand the irony? The January 6th hearings won't be covered on Hannity, but Hannity will be covered in the January 6th hearings. 
We're going to be bringing you live coverage of that on Sirius XM and the primetime uh, slot when they begin this coming Thursday. But right now, it, it turns out the U.S. was already in a heightened threat environment. But now with this looming Supreme Court decision that will take away women's reproductive freedoms, the first time in any of our lifetimes, the Supreme Court will take freedoms away from Americans. Another increase in migrants at the U.S.-Mexico border, which is just going to inflame racism and tension all over the place. The midterm elections, guns, 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 a right wing Senate and House that complains about inflation while doing everything they can do to make the economy worse. Because when did Republicans ever get elected by making things better? There's guys with guns who want to kill you for suggesting too many Americans are going to get killed. And in the midst of all of this, the Department of Homeland Security, which in itself is creepy, just warned us it's about to get worse. You know, law enforcement uses this term domestic violent extremist to label people from a a broad cross-section of the ideology spectrum from like racially motivated extremists to just white supremacists that we all know and love. But the National Terrorism Advisory System Bulletin was reissued today, and it said domestic violent extremists are propagating disinformation, which means white terrorists are lying a lot. Online forums that are just neck deep in conspiracy theories and domestic violent extremist content, you know, the stuff that inspired the shooter, in Buffalo. Um, well, they're praising the Uvalde mass shooting and potentially encouraging copycat attacks. Some users have also said the tragedy at the Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, is disinformation. And they're trying to use it to incite grievances, including claims it was a government staged event meant to advance gun control measures. <sighs> Shades of Alex Jones. I mean, extremists online have been praising the shooting in Uvalde, Texas, and they're calling for copycat attacks. And so after all of this, they've warned of a heightened threat environment. What does that mean? Nobody's really sure. Some domestic violent extremists, in other words, white douchebag terrorists, have expressed grievances related to their perception that the government is unwilling or unable to secure the Mexican border. And so they're calling for violence to stem the flow of undocumented migrants to the United States. Now, you could stop all of this by arresting the white people who do all the hiring, but then the white people wouldn't be able to do all the hiring and pay a lower-than-living wage for these people, and our economy would buckle until we began paying a living wage to American citizens who would then go out and buy shit, and uh, rich people would be slightly less rich. And that can't happen. Homeland Security expects that calls for violence by domestic terrorists are going to be aimed at political candidates, election events, election workers, and these calls will increase ahead of the midterms. They're not saying the violence itself will necessarily increase. They're saying the calls for violence will increase. Uh, The continued proliferation of misinformation, which we used to call lies, could, quote, inspire individuals to mobilize to violence. Points to an increased risk of these domestic terrorists using issues surrounding border security to justify violence. They're not saying there's going to be more violence. They're saying people online are calling for more violence. And, of course, they're warning that people both against and for abortion rights have encouraged violence against government, religious, and reproductive health care personnel and facilities. Homeland Security said in the coming months we expect the threat environment to become more dynamic as several high-profile events could be exploited to acts of violence against a range of possible targets. On the one hand, I want to pull my hair out 
and say, this reminds me of the Bush administration. Are we up to orange or red now? What does Homeland Security know that they're purposely not telling Americans? They're not saying be wary of more violence. They're saying be wary that some people online are calling for more violence. This is the sixth time Homeland Security has issued the bulletin since the beginning of the Biden administration. And it's their latest attention, a latest attempt, rather, to draw attention to the threat posed by domestic violent extremism. You know, again, these alerts about international terrorism were what we all had to get used to with this agency after they were created following September 11th. Public gatherings, faith-based institutions, racial and religious minorities, government facilities, and critical infrastructure may be targets of domestic violence extremists. That was said by a Homeland Security official to reporters on a conference call. No shit, really. Domestic violent extremists might attack people at public gatherings, faith-based institutions. They might go after racial minorities or religious minorities. They might attack government facilities. Wow. How could you know that unless you've been paying attention to this country for the last 10 years? It's infuriating. I mean, essentially, this is happening under a Democratic presidency. They're saying, be afraid. We can't tell you specifically what or when. Just be wary. Liberals were angry about this 18 years ago. So who's pushing back? Well, liberals are pushing back. And people who've survived mass shootings are pushing back. And for all of the astonishingly bad press out there, for all the reasons to despair, there are so many Americans who are standing up and fighting for decency and love and basic intelligence. I want to play you a couple of clips that are getting me through the day. Kimberly Salter is the wife of retired Buffalo police officer Aaron Salter. He was murdered by a white supremacist right-wing 18-year-old at the Buffalo mass shooting. And today she addressed the Senate Judiciary Committee. Listen to this very, very recent widow whose husband was killed by someone who easily got an AR-15. He made the ultimate sacrifice for everybody and for me, and I'm making the sacrifice for him. And I'm asking for legislation regarding the guns. I'm asking for legislation to empower our police officers to have armor, bulletproof vests, and all the tactical gear they need to protect my family, your family, your kids, your mothers, your grandmothers, your next door neighbors, everybody, and even us. When we go out to the store, when we go out to church, when we go out to water our lawns, anytime, we need that same safety. We need that same security. And I am asking, pleading, that the Senate do all that they can, that Congress do all that they can. It's not about Republicans. It's not about Democrats. It's about people. It's about human life. It's about our existence. It's about our democracy. Her husband was only 55 years old, and he was one of the 10 people murdered in the mass shooting at the top supermarket in Buffalo. Uh, Garnell Whitfield, 
whose mother Ruth was also murdered by that 18-year-old white nationalist who had been radicalized online during the pandemic in Buffalo at a grocery store. Garnell Whitfield challenged the commitment of Congress to stop such violence. And I have to warn you, before you hear this, you may be very inspired by these words. And what are you doing? You're elected to protect us, to protect our way of life. I ask every one of you to imagine the faces of your mothers as you look at mine and ask yourself, is there nothing that we can do? Is there nothing that you personally are willing to do to stop the cancer of white supremacy and the domestic terrorism, terrorism it inspires? Because if there is nothing, then, respectfully, senators, you should yield your positions of authority and influence to others that are willing to lead on this issue. The urgency of the moment demands no less. My mother's life mattered. My mother's life mattered. And your actions here today will tell us how much it matters to you. Thank you. That's former Buffalo Fire Commissioner Garnell Whitfield, whose mother was killed. I want to requote him because it just, it's amazing to stand up to Congress and say, you should yield your positions of authority and influence to others that are willing to lead on this issue. The urgency of the moment demands no less. My mother's life mattered. I'm going to listen to that when I get discouraged over the next few months. And you know what? You know who I didn't expect to touch my heart today? Matthew McConaughey. I got to forgive him for every Lincoln commercial he's done. He went to the White House and gave a very emotional speech calling for lawmakers to act on bipartisan gun reforms. Did you know that his hometown is Uvalde, Texas? Well, here he is at the White House briefing. This is A3. And he spoke about the victims of the shooting in Uvalde and underlines the gruesome senselessness with which 19 children lost their lives. Maybe they wore green high-top converse with a heart she had hand-drawn on the right toe because they represented her love of nature. Camilla's got these shoes. Can you show these shoes, please? Wore these every day. Green converse with a heart on the right toe. These are the same green converse on her feet that turned out to be the only clear evidence that could identify her after the shooting. How about that shit? <clears throat> Maybe they wrote a letter. He also shared the story of Irma Garcia, who you might remember, a teacher who lost her life, and her husband Joe, who died the day of her funeral. It was a fairy tale love story of a teacher named Irma and her husband Joe. What a great family this was. This was an amazing family. Camilla and I, we, 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 we sat with about 20 of their family members in their living room, along with their four kids. Uh, they were, kids were 23, 19, 15, and 13. They, they, they shared all these stories about Irma and Joe served the community and would host all these parties and how Irma and Joe were planning on getting a food truck together when they soon retired. They were humble, hard-working people. Irma was a teacher who her family said went above and beyond and just couldn't say no to any kind of teaching. Joe had been commuting to and from work 70 miles away in Del Rio for years. 
Together they were the glue of the family. Both worked overtime to support their four kids. Irma even worked every summer when school was out. The money she had made two summers ago paid to, paid to paint the front of the house. The money she made last summer paid to paint the sides of the house. This summer's work was going to pay to paint the back of the house. Because Irma was one of the teachers who was gunned down in the classroom. Joe, her husband, literally died of heartache the very next day when he had a heart attack. They never got to paint the back of their house. They never got to retire. And they never got to get that food truck together. Now, as Matthew McConaughey wrapped up his speech, I want you to listen to this as he's leaving. A member of the White House press corps, to be specific, it was the soulless ghoul from Newsmax, James Rosen, shouted out a question that I can bet you cash money he would never ask a member of the Republican Party. Give a listen. JC, Jayla, Ava, Amory, and Lexi. We start by giving all of them our promise that their dreams are not going to be forgotten. We start by making the loss of these lives matter. And he leaves. You hear that? Are you grandstanding, sir? Are you grandstanding? That's James Rosen of Newsmax, which, if you don't know, is a Russian propaganda machine, asking if McConaughey was grandstanding over his grief of 19 slaughtered children. Asking for children's murders to not be in vain is grandstanding. If the name James Rosen sounds familiar to you, it's because he was forced to leave Fox News after multiple co-workers accused him of sexual harassment. God bless any of you whose parents have sunk so low they have devolved from Fox News zombies to Newsmax zombies. You can't ever stop loving your parents. But I'm just so sorry if that's happened. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, 
The learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I am so thrilled to welcome our next guest back to the show. Before I do, however, let's get the numbers up. 1.4 million people identify as transgender, according to the Williams Institute. 5.6% of U.S. adults identify as LGBTQ. A majority of LGBT Americans say they are bisexual. One in six adults in Generation Z, I'm going to repeat this again, one in six adults in Generation Z consider themselves LGBT. So we know what the future looks like. However, right now, there's more than 300 anti-LGBTQ bills pending in state legislatures around the country. So far, at least six states have banned transgender women and girls from competing in sports teams consistent with their gender. Arizona, Alabama, Texas have all moved to ban gender-affirming care for transgender youth. Florida as well. Alabama is making it a felony for doctors to provide such care to minors. And many are following Florida's lead, which just passed a bill that we call Don't Say Gay. And Florida, of course, has just ordered doctors to detransition all trans kids. On top of all of this, um, very often it's easy to understand that a lot of uh, black and brown LGBTQ people often feel left out of the cultural celebration of pride, and people in that community are often the subject of increased discrimination, not just because they're LGBTQ, but because of their intersectional identities. So I'm so pleased to welcome back to our show Dr. David Johns, Executive Director of the National Black Justice Coalition which is an amazing civil rights org dedicated to the empowerment of black, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer people, including those living with HIV AIDS, because it is not over. Dr. Johns was appointed as the first executive director uh, of the White House Initiative on Educational Excellence for African Americans by President Barack Obama. It is a great pleasure to welcome David Johns back to the show. Hello. Hi, John. Thank you for having me back. It's so good to have you. Before we even go into it, how are you? How are you doing? How's your family? How have you been during this crazy on-again, off-again pandemic time? I appreciate the question uh, and acknowledge the many constraints that many of us are living under. Uh, for me, the enduring pandemic associated with anti-Blackness and white supremacy uh, and the more recent uh, pandemic associated with the novel coronavirus. Um, but I am well, all things considered. I am exhausted. Uh, mentally, physically, spiritually, um, and in other ways. And at the time since you and I last spoke, I completed my dissertation uh, and my doctoral studies. Uh, and my dissertation really focused on the experiences of Black, uh, queer, trans, non-binary, non-conforming public, middle, and high school students in this country. Uh, and so it's been uh, both a cause of celebration and given the uh, context within which we're now having this conversation uh, has offered up lots of additional consternation as well. Consternation, but at the same time, so much inspiration, because I, I want to thank you for all the support and love and care that you provide to young people who are struggling. It might be a lot easier now than it's ever been in human history, but we're still in America. And uh, just because there's more representation in the media doesn't mean it's easier for kids of all races who are coming out as LGBTQ uh, in many, many parts of this country. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Thank you for that. 
Thank you. So uh, last year, I remember being shocked because we had never seen any year that had as many pieces of uh, anti-trans legislation in history. There were more than 117 bills introduced in state legislatures last year. This year, it seems like it's even getting worse. And what gets me down, doctor, is sometimes I can't tell. Are these politicians going for all these anti-gay and anti-trans measures because they're truly bigots, or are they doing it because it's an election year and they're trying to appeal to the bigot vote among their constituents? What is the current landscape for anti-trans and anti-gay legislation in our country? I, I think the response is C, all of the above. Uh, oh. And I struggle with uh, expending additional energy attempting to decipher or distinguish between the two. Good for you. Uh, in, in part because the impact is the same, right? Um, and so uh, now there are more than uh, 260 pieces of legislation that have been introduced in more than 42 states across this country impacting more than 60 million children um, that we know of. And I would offer an asterisk on those data points as well as the ones you offered, which is that uh, any statistics that exist around marginalized, uh, oppressed communities in this country are underreported um, yes. for the reasons that people who have the privilege of passing uh, do. Um, and there are so many people, uh, I'm, I'm laughing because the older I get, the more this becomes clearer to me. Uh, but the vast majority of people get to do uh, and love uh, whomever, however, whenever they want without ever having to check a box or publicly uh, defend or explain it. Um, and yet, in spite of that, we find ourselves at a point in time in which there are, to be clear, political bullies who are weaponizing hate uh, and ignorance um, to turn out a base um, in a way that has worked in elections heretofore. It's a play that um, they continue to run because it works. Um, and it's also the case that there, I believe, is a very small minority of legislators and people in positions of power who are ignorant in the purest sense of the term yes. and who feel uh, compelled, inspired for whatever reason to um, solve problems that don't exist about yeah. people and life experiences that they will never have the um, privilege or fortune to truly comprehend. Um, and it is causing, uh, in some cases, irreparable harm and damage in the lives of humans. Um, and in particular, when I think about the current challenges associated with legislation designed to interrupt the uh, relationship between a medical provider and their patients, um, that literally offends a Hippocratic oath, uh, and, and that is being designed by people who know very little about medicine, <laughs> uh, and who at this point uh, don't demonstrate a whole lot of regard for humanity. Um, uh, to me, it just signals the worst parts of um, intentional efforts to disrupt and upend democracy. Um, and I wish we would be more plain in, in our language when referencing these things. It, it makes me infuriated to hear politicians, particularly in Florida, say, well, it's about grooming. We're trying to stop grooming. And I, I keep saying you, it, it is not possible to groom a child to be transgender any more than it's possible to groom a child to be gay or to groom a child to be cisgender or to groom a child to be straight. Children are what they are. And it's uh, and to say that you're not going to allow the teaching of gender identity, but still 
<laughs> allow basic pronouns, you're you're already doing it. It seems that once again the cruelty is just the point. And as you know, so many of the bills that are being considered and already passed have, have attacked transgender youth, stripping them of access to health care, barring them from participating in sports. I mean, as someone who has extensive experience in education, what are some of the most serious ramifications of this political year legislation? Yeah, the most significant amongst them is death. I'll say it again, the most significant ramification of even the the conversations around these bills are death. The, the signal that is sent to children, babies who did not ask to be born and who are often simply developing, right? We're talking about uh, political politically constructed terms that adults sometimes find discomfort within being forced upon children as they are developing in one of the most fragile periods of their lifetime. Yes. And the message we send to them is that they they aren't valued, that they aren't worthy of existing, of, of thriving, of being well. The data shows us that young people, uh, Black children generally, LGBTQIA plus children generally, we do not collect data intersectional data so we can't really talk about kids who are both yep. black and or racial or ethnic minority and lgbtqia plus or who might have a disability visible or invisible right which is again by design it's a policy problem in, in and of itself but what we know is that students in each of those categories face significant mental health challenges that's right they experience suicidal ideation they contemplate it they attempt it they complete it successfully at increased rates the suicide rates for Black kids alone has doubled in the last five years, which is alarming to me because it's decreased for every other community of children. And the same is true for LGBTQIA plus children who are, who are saying that the schools that they're forced to go to, especially public schools, are dangerous, they're unsafe, they're not supportive. The communities now, if we think about the the, the spate of legislation that's been introduced to tell them that they're not welcomed, that they shouldn't show up as they are fully formed right. and perfect. Um, all of this is saying to them that um, we don't value them and they are, are screaming for our support and mental health professionals who have the competency to support them are least likely to exist. And those who need them the most, e.g. people who rely upon Medicare um, or Medicaid rather, um, public support for, for medical services are at least likely now to be able to use them because of legislation introduced in states like Texas, Florida, and most recently North Carolina. But, you know, here's the thing. I mean, federal agencies interpret federal law, and these bills that are being passed in so many states across the country actually violate federal law, including the Constitution. I mean, how could the Department of Justice most effectively respond to this terrifying rush of anti-trans legislation? Yeah, even before the Department of Justice, I'm really uh, proud of a number of partners who are working in states, including the ones that I just named, to fight against these uh, legislative attempts. Uh, and the number of um, these types of bills that are coming out of Florida in particular is dizzying. And we should all be clear that this is a signal that Ron DeSantis is trying to out uh, Trump Trump. Uh, yes. and his uh, aspirations to be the Republican nominee for president. 
Um, and so those efforts will continue to take place. And we should all be concerned, given what we have seen come from the Supreme Court, that if these cases rise to that level, um, we, we might not be able, literally, some of us might not be able to live with the decision. A, a year ago, you joined us right after the Department of Health and Human Services announced they had reversed Trump's order and restored health protections for transgender patients. What are your thoughts on how this particular administration has been responding and what should they do moving forward, considering that this is a White House that has announced they they plan to confront states on anti-trans legislation? Yes, uh, I am careful to respond, uh, one, because MBJC is a nonprofit organization, of course, of uh, two, because I am aware of the fact that we are in the throes of a midterm election cycle and knowing what the alternative is, I want everyone to continue to be critical and consuming uh, information about uh, what this administration has done and what more they could be doing. Uh, and as is the case with almost any occupant of the Oval Office, uh, more can and should be done. And I want to celebrate, especially in Pride Month, all that this particular administration, the Biden-Harris administration, has done in this space in particular. There were executive actions that were taken the first 100 days in office, and there have been more recent attempts to respond to some of these legislative attacks that are noteworthy, um, and, and, and more can and should be done. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at Squeezed.com. So you guys know Joe Biden gave a real lifeline to low-wage federal workers earlier this year and contract workers with his executive order giving a $15 minimum wage for those workers. As you also know, the federal minimum wage remains at $7.25 an hour, and it's been there for decades. It hasn't increased since 2009. And an effort to raise it early in Joe Biden's administration failed when a couple of uh, Senate Democrats, oh, you know who and you know who, sided with Republicans to help kill it. Into the fray comes one of the greatest labor journalists we have in this country. Bob Hanley is an award-winning investigative journalist with a 40-year career who's covered public policy, economy, corruption, homeland security, immigration, environmental policy, and more. He was senior reporter at WNYC for 12 years. You've read his stuff in The Chief Leader, The New York Times, Detroit Free Press, 60 Minutes, and Salon. And his newest piece in Salon is most inspiring. In the anticipation of Reverend Barber's visit to Newark, his new piece is Workers Have Had Enough. Labor's Tide is Rising from Amazon to Dollar General and Beyond. It is always a great pleasure to welcome the great Bob Henley. Well, it was great to be warmed up by Dave, wherever he is. May he write for something. That's what I said. I'm ready to vote for Dave in Nevada. Please. (laughs) Why didn't Harry Reid have a guy like Dave on his staff all those years? Fire right there. (laughs) Take no prisoners and no apologies. Which brings me to a name a lot of folks might not know nationwide, 
but it's New York City Comptroller Brad Lander. Now, as y'all know, um, Amazon did really well during the pandemic, really well. And they just signed off on paying their top five executives $400 million last year, including $212 million in these time-vested shares to CEO Andrew Jassy. So Brad Lander, our Comptroller here in New York, he came out in April and began calling for a shareholder revolt for shareholders of Amazon, the people who really do have power, to vote out a couple of their board members claiming that they failed to protect workers while giving these executives $400 million. He said, it's time for shareholders to deliver accountability at Amazon. At the time, I thought, oh, a pipe dream. Bob, what happened? Well, they got 27% of the folks, the votes that were not controlled by, uh, by Bezos, which is a great start. So yeah. that means that people who, and this is one of the, another aspect of um, the, the potential we have here. When we see a situation where Congress is stuck because of campaign finance and so many people in Congress act out of the interest of their campaign donors, Another area that does exist for us to apply pressure is the stockholder system of publicly traded corporations. And we've already seen them forced to have to diversify their boards. But in this case, 27% voted against this, um, this outside director, this McGrath, the person that was uh, the woman that was in charge of the compensation committee. And I might add, what has not gotten a lot of attention is internally, Amazon discharged some of the uh, the managers that were driving the anti-union practices. And so there is this attempt on their part to, to correct their course. But the fight continues. Uh, we did have the uh, positive vote in the larger uh, facility out in, in Staten Island for Amazon. But they, they fight an inside game. And so it just is going to continue. Uh, we're going to have to keep applying pressure, just like we saw with uh, Reverend Barber, uh, the Dollar General store, a huge chain, 18000 uh, stores, locations. Uh, we know that they target communities that are having a hard time and they are a huge employer. And so they also uh, compensate the top with millions and millions of dollars and try to get by with paying folks as little as possible and staffing the stores with a few, as few people as possible. And so Reverend Barber actually got proxy. That is someone who had shares signed up with the right for him to go and represent them. And he went to the shareholders meeting in Tennessee and they saw him coming and quickly bolted the door so he couldn't get him access. But he made his point. And so I think increasingly people are starting to look at their position as investors and start saying, listen, are these kinds of uh, approaches that put all the money at the top? Is that an investment in the long term sustainability of the economy? I mean, exactly. Even Henry Ford knew that you had to pay the people on the line enough to buy a new car. And somehow yeah. they have lost these lessons. Uh, and this winner-take-all capitalism, which is supported by this enabling Congress, uh, is still in this position. And that's why it's important that we do exactly what Dave suggested and really just overwhelm. And, you know, there's some precedent. 2018 and the biannual election turnout was up. 2020, certainly the turnout was up, but we have to take it up a notch. Absolutely. Now, again, it's it's very encouraging, and I just want to back up some of your stats there because Dollar General employs 163,000 Americans in 47 states. And obviously, hold on to your hats for the spoiler alert, uh, they pay less than a living wage in poor neighborhoods and disadvantaged communities where they often are located because 
They sell cheap stuff to poor people, and they're not going to make a big profit for their CEOs to take home as benefits if they pay a living wage to their workers. Bob, I think it's fair to say uh, Dollar General, uh, like Starbucks, not really big on unionization of employees. No, but this is still getting traction. I mean, I uh, am so impressed uh, with the people I've interviewed doing this work. I interviewed a woman, uh, Kenya Slaughter, a single mother, recently lost her husband. Uh, she was an employee, still is, at a Dollar General store making trouble with an organization called Step Up Louisiana that's working closely with Reverend Barber. And at the very beginning of the pandemic, um, even though the job was critically important to her, she wrote an op-ed in the New York Times to shame Dollar General to provide PPE for the entire country for all those thousands of stores. Now, you know, so if someone like that, a single mother can do like that, I think we need to raise the bar for congressional accomplishment, don't you? <laughs> well, especially because Dollar General is a $34 billion annual business, and their CEO got $16.5 million in compensation last year, 986 times the median pay of a Dollar General worker. So I know that Reverend Barber was going down to uh, Tennessee to go to the annual stockholders meeting of Dollar General. They wouldn't let him in, would they? No, well, and the thing is, he was outside. It was like, it was four minutes. It was 9.04. And was kind of I was hoping that uh, cause a great, there's great video in it, and it's in the in the piece of the salon depicts it fairly vividly. Yeah, um, you know they were racing once they saw him, and he's hard to miss when he's coming. They race up, pull up the folding car table, and try to you know like snake all salespeople. And to add insult to injury, it, they're so confident that they own the town in Goodlettsville. Sounds like uh, you know bonfire of the vanities, Tennessee. They held the stockholders meeting. Wait for it. In the town hall. I mean, I was just hoping that Sidney Poitier would show up, you know, like with Rod Steiger. <laughs> but no. Uh, but what was important is that they had a huge crowd outside. And one of the other things, I had a good friend of mine who was a tax expert analyst. He's the kind of guy that if you're, um, if you're a union in, a, in, a, in an African nation and the dictator is made off with the, 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 the diamonds and the gold that you've mined, you get my friend, James Henry, and he's, he'll go find ill-gotten gains in the Swiss bank account. Anyway, he looked at what um, Dollar General was doing, and there's this thing where they do stock buybacks. So not yes. only do they not pay their employees, but they actually commit a half billion dollars to buy back their own stock. So Just that's insane. like total self-dealing. And so... They only put $200 million in the same quarter to open new stores. And my favorite, and this is I want to thank the brothers and sisters of the Institute for Policy Studies. The biggest buyback firm, Lowe's, we know Lowe's, I'm sure they advertise, mm -hmm. with the $13 billion the retail spent on share repurchases, the company could have given each of its 325,000 employees a 40,000 raise. It's $40,000. dollars It said median pay at the company fell 7.6% to $22,697. 
I'm John Fugelsang. This is SiriusXM Progress, and we're taking your calls at 866-997-GRIT. We have a lot of stuff to get to tonight, but let's go to the phones because some of you all been so patient waiting on hold all this time. Let me go to Sean and Callie because we never got to talk last night. Hello, Sean. Hey, Brother John. Yeah. So, Prince, oh, my goodness, I was so fortunate, or I should say we were for, uh, so fortunate, my wife and I, to see him literally like six weeks before he passed in wow. the Oakland Coliseum. Uh, I don't know the exact date, but he was absolutely incredible. I mean, it was like the, the I saw Paul McCartney there, I saw Prince there, and I'm like, if you haven't seen either one of those, you got to get on whatever. you got to go see Paul. He's still alive. But the YouTube of Prince, it's an amazing thing. Yeah. He was just an amazing musician. And I ha- I'm, I'm kind of biased. I think you need to play instruments to actually be considered a complete musician. Not to say that there can't be singers and, and just guitarists and not singers, that kind of thing. I struggle with that. I struggle with I struggle with that. I used to feel that way. But I mean, you know, I I think Frank Sinatra gets to be called a musician. I think what he did with his voice as an instrument, he kind of gets away with it. You know, Chris Cornell, although he played uh, uh, played guitar, but yeah. Yeah, but his his voice was like 10 other instruments. <laughs> now, my, I don't have a problem with just great vocalists being called musicians if they don't play an instrument. I have a problem with groups being called bands. You know, we don't call oh, the Supremes we don't call the Supremes a band. So why do we call all these boy groups band? Why do we call them boy bands? They're man groups. For God's sake. I I'm with you and uh you know, you remember New Edition uh, yeah, old, so, you know, but they never. Bobby but but Brown. notice, they never called New Edition a band because they were black. Hello. But they'll call all of these all of these hideous little boy groups bands. That's that's my that's my snobbery right there. Well, I gave you a little bit of mine, and thank you for sharing with me. Um, I have to tell you, my snobbery regarding conspiracy theories has really gotten to a point where uh, I monitor. I'm sure you do too. Uh, uh, you know the. Republican terrorist chatter, you know, on cable news, on uh, social media, on terrestrial radio, and they even have a channel on satellite radio. But, -hmm. you know, it's gotten to the point where you even have well-meaning people who have radio shows who actually are citing the both sides thing. And that's the thing that really gets to me. That's the thing. It's like, can you just do like five more minutes of really good research instead of picking out one story that is like, uh, this is the latest one that really got me. You're picking out a story, and I'm not even going to go into it too deep, where a teacher was showing cards about transgender. It's like one teacher out of, you know, 45, 75 million teachers, they picked that one story out. And all of a sudden, it's a slippery slope. And it drives I know it. me crazy because 99% of all teachers are amazing human beings that are helping our children be eager learners into the society nowadays where they're exposed to information at such young ages. So we can't just hide them from the reality. Otherwise, they think we're stupid. And I would rather yeah. them, you know, uh, side with me than some knucklehead um, that they're listening to on TikTok or something. Well, you know, it would be wrong to side with the knucklehead, but hey, both sides do it. Am I right? Yeah. 
Yes. <laughs> Sean. That's true. I, I'm with you. No, I'm just saying, I mean, the both sidesism makes me crazy in the media. They're always going to chase the right wing. So if you actually come out and say, you know, this is really a right wing problem, they were afraid they might lose two or three viewers in Iowa. So they've got to keep on saying, well, both sides do this climate change denial. Both sides do pursue, you know, I mean, whatever ridiculous stuff. Both sides are to blame for our lax gun laws. No, it's not both sides. It's not. There's the people who care and the people who don't. And maybe parties overlap, but no, both sides don't do it. 